1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to This is the Place, a podcast channel from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. Today, we'll be talking to Jethro Sutar about three pieces he translated for the most recent issue of The Common. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Jethro Sutar is a translator of Spanish and Portuguese. He has a particular focus on works from Africa and has translated novels from Equatorial Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, and Cape Verde. He is also editor of Daedalus Africa and a co-founder of Ragpicker Press, originally from Sheffield in the UK. He now lives in Lisbon, Portugal. Jethro, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me,
1: Could you begin by describing where you're calling from, what it's like there, just so we have a sense of place for our conversation today?
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, in the bio there, it said uh, I'm um, from Sheffield in the UK, but now live in Lisbon. In Portugal, but I've recently moved to Setubal, which is uh, down the coast, uh, across the river, and down the coast. Uh, only about an hour, so it's still part of the greater uh, Lisbon area. But uh, but yeah, it's a slightly uh, a smaller place uh, by the sea. Uh, it's uh, it's the evening here, so it's dark. But otherwise, I would have a nice little sea view, uh, looking down at the bay. Uh, although it's been a bit of a cold and grey day and you get a bit of a sea mist uh uh, coming up the hill at this sort of uh, time of year so uh so that's the that's the scene um
1: well thank you for that that was the closest i've come to traveling in quite a while (laughs) um you translated three pieces for our last issue all from portuguese as part of a special portfolio of writing from the Lusosphere. And I was wondering for right for listeners who might not be familiar with that term, Lusosphere. Could you summarize how you understand it? Maybe a little of of the history around Portugal's global influence.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, very specifically, that term is uh, is not one that I particularly come across all the time. I think it's it's it's, uh, it's quite a neat. Um, I mean, Lusso basically means sort of Portuguese or Portuguese speaking. You, you you often hear Lusophone Africa. Uh, which sort of suggests uh, the countries in Africa where uh, Portuguese is is either spoken or is a, an official language. Um, as with any of these sort of complicated colonial legacies, uh, some people don't like that term for one reason or another. Uh, I think Lucifer, on the other hand, is sort of a bit more of a, uh, a, a looser term, more an opener term. But essentially, yeah, you, you, you're talking about countries. Where Portuguese is is spoken, um, and that would obviously be Portugal. Uh, a lot of people would know that Brazil speaks Portuguese, um, and uh, then you it, it gets a little bit more complicated in Africa because uh, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, and then Sao Tome and Principe. Uh, all, all speak Portuguese, or, all have it as an official language. But of course, within those countries, there are a lot of other languages, uh, and often uh, Portuguese is, is not even necessarily the most spoken one. But it does tend to be the, 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 the language of uh, uh, either government uh, official languages, and usually of literature, um, and uh, that's because. Um, Historically, sort of uh, writing and publishing would be a a, a slightly privileged uh, undertaking Uh, and and therefore you'd be talking about the more educated uh, parts of society and they they probably would have uh, had Portuguese uh, uh, education. Uh, And also, yeah, the the ambition, I suppose, of being a writer and and, and trying to get you writing out there you'd uh, your portuguese it'd it, it be a, a window or an opportunity to, to to reach more readers than uh, you would get to, with a, a language specific not even just to, to one of the african countries but maybe even even a part of it um and then uh, the, the, there are other sort of complications in the uh, um, i know of writers who who don't think like for example in cape verde the main language is creole and there are people who, who, who are, and, and same in guinea bissau a similar type of creole, but it's a bit different. Uh, and that's the one I know a bit about because I did try to learn it briefly. But writers have told me that um, they they think it works and they like it for, for songwriting and poetry, but not for literature, uh, that it doesn't quite, um, at least at this stage in its uh, sort of usage, uh, doesn't have uh, the tools or they simply don't like Using it in the same way that they like to to write in Portuguese, um, so so that's I covered it a bit. Then just to to, to finish off, you've then got uh, East Timor, uh, which uh, also I think speaks or Portuguese is pretty strongly spoken. Macau um, and Goa, uh, which I understand both in Goa and Macau, there are still some Portuguese speakers as a sort of. Colonial legacy, or, or, or for other sort of reasons that date back historically, but but not many uh, in comparison with the, the other places that I mentioned. Um, and then uh, you know, to, to sort of reference back to the uh, to the magazine itself, it, it, it's it's great to then see sort of uh, some of the the looser phone or the looser sphere uh, writers uh, in America, of course, uh, in the United States, who uh, have got uh, in the family backgrounds. Uh, that go back to, to Portuguese or, or Brazilian in, in some of the cases. Uh, and me being from the UK, there's, there's also, uh, I mean, Portugal Portugal's one of those places that's uh, had a, a bit like Ireland uh, that's sort of on the edge of Europe and has always had a lot of migration, uh, mostly emigration, and therefore uh, uh, you get a lot of diasporas. Uh, and therefore, I suppose, yeah, that'd be the final piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah, I think one of the reasons we called, the, called it um, writing from the lusosphere as opposed to the lusophone countries is because a lot of the writers were people who maybe are now living in America or living in England or living somewhere else, but but they still feel a real connection to Portugal or to Brazil or, t- or to their families. We had a lot of pieces from people who decided from Families in the Azores, I think that came up a lot, so,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because um, uh, the, 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 uh, I've sort of been reading through the, the magazine, it took a little while, the post-service for my copy to, <laughs> to arrive, I think. Uh, 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 but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it, and yeah. and, and, uh, and I'm aware that, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the sort of backgrounds, especially in the US, is uh, the Azores or, or Madeira, the, the islands, which for people who are unfamiliar, uh, with them are, are sort of a, a group of, of islands sort of in the middle of the Atlantic uh, and what I'm sort of coming on to and then Cape Verde is another set of islands but a bit further south uh, uh, sort of closer to to Africa and, and part of Africa.
1: Yeah it's been a, it's been a real education to me um, not just reading the pieces but yeah like looking more into the history and then the geography of where the, where they're from. Um, I wonder if you would start us off by um, reading the opening of one of the pieces, a short story called Maria, I'm Going to War. And I would love if you would read it in Portuguese first and then in your English translation.
0: Yeah, that'd be, it'd be a pleasure. Uh, I mean, uh, I will, I, I, obviously I speak Portuguese, uh, I live in Portugal, uh, but uh, my accent will not be quite as good as, uh, as uh, the author himself when, when he read us a section. Uh, but uh, yep, yeah, sure. In Portuguese, it's called Maria Voaguer. Só so, o papa anunciou: Maria vou à guerra e esmagou a biata no cinzeiro. A mama levantar a mesa, teve o sobressalto do costume. Ficou especada, a porta da cozinha como um prato sujo em cada mal. Ir à guerra era sair por ali fora na calada da noite até ao Bado David, jogando às escondidas como as patrulhas militares. Apoiantes like Now I'll, uh, I'll read the same passage which is the opening uh, in uh, in the English version. So Maria, I'm going to war. Papa announced, Maria, I'm going to war and stubbed his cigarette out in the ashtray. Mama, clearing the table, gave her usual start. She stood stranded in the kitchen doorway, a dirty plate in each hand. Going to war meant going out in the dead of night to David's bar, playing hide-and-seek with military patrols. Our lot supporters gathered there after hours, drank a few beers, exchanged questionable information and reliable rumours. It had been the same every night for the last three weeks, since their lot retook the city. After dinner, Papa would say, Maria, I'm going to war. And Mama would give a start, try to talk him out of it, remind him of martial law and the curfew. Then out of desperation, she'd say, at least wait for the shooting to die down.
1: Thanks, that was great to, great to hear in both languages. And I, I should have said earlier, that, uh, that story is by Jose Pinto Gissa, who is a writer from Mozambique, I believe.
0: And before before we carry on, as I was reading in Portuguese, uh, just it, it popped into my head because it, it fed back into what we were talking about the, the Lusosphere. So I live in Portugal. The, the the piece I was reading from was written by a Mozambican author, and I learned a lot of my Portuguese in Brazil. So I realized when I was reading that my accent, you know, it's a, a real uh, sort of uh, mixture of Lusosphere. Uh, uh, uh influences so maybe that's appropriate
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely no that seems very appropriate uh would you describe what that piece is about generally and where it's set for for those people who may not have read it yet
0: yeah um so uh, as i said uh, jose the the author is uh mozambican um so when i was uh, reading it you know i i it as a, as a translator i um i thought I was in, in, in Mozambique um, uh, I have since spoken to him uh, about the piece and he, he says yeah obviously uh, it, it's based on his own experiences in Mozambique but he deliberately wanted it not set anywhere specifically uh, so it, in a way it's a sort of uh, generic African uh, post-colonial uh, civil war city uh, mm-hmm. A lot of places uh, suffered uh, similar similar fates or similar conflicts, mm-hmm. uh, and he was sort of trying to tie together some of the some of the common strands. Um, in it, it, it's about uh, yeah a, 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 a son who who goes out with his father to to the bar uh, and listens to a, a group of old guys really talking about. The rumors they've heard, what's happening, who, who's who's, uh, who's you know who's on top, which side's winning, and so on. And the 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 idea is that the, the people in the bar are the sort of old timers who, who maybe fought in the previous war, and this is a, a, a previous civil war, and this is and they're sort of dis- disillusioned. And this would be years later with another sort of outbreak, so they're cynical, uh, although they're still sort of uh, you know uh, very much uh, partisan. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a, a moody piece. I would say you you, you really get a sense of, uh, of of being in a city under siege. Um, obviously, things like curfews and so on. When I translated it, I'd never really experienced, but we're all uh, we're all aware of uh, of what uh, 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 what that is a bit, a bit like. Obviously, it'd be a bit different with uh, guns gunfire in the background uh, so yeah you've got uh, you've got these sorts of elements uh, and uh, a, 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 a year a, a sort of a, a, a tale that well you, i won't spoil the ending uh, for everybody but uh, but yeah it, it's uh it, it's sort of um quite a powerful piece i think in that it's it's a nice piece in that there's a nice sort of Dynamic between the father and the son, the father, the son, and the mother—the the sort of family dynamic. Then the dynamic in the bar of the old guys, uh, the camaraderie between them, and uh, with the, the character who's a bit younger. Uh, but then maybe an overall sort of sense of anger at the the, the, the stupidity of, of war, let's say, and maybe the stupidity of of men uh, fighting wars. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think. I really loved what you're talking about, that sort of atmosphere of these like nice, warm connections between people in this sort of horrific landscape. And I feel like there's almost like, a not not quite humor, humor's not the right word, but, the, but there's something grim and sort of light about it at the same time. Like this idea that going to war is really just going to the bar, but then we see the reality that the city is a war zone and, and going to the bar is very dangerous. And then the characters talk about horrific things and they encounter horrific things, but their reactions show us that those things are, are commonplace and sort of not something to really comment on. And one of the things that stood out to me was the, the use of our lot and their lot to talk about the two sides of the conflict, because I feel like it, it makes it feel kind of casual. And I wonder if you could tell us about finer points like that with translation, like choosing words that convey not just meaning, but, but feeling and tone, even like the tone from the character themselves.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that that's a good a good place to start because uh, some of what you you touched on there the, the 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 normality, if you like, of, of of living under war. I mean, the 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 civil war in Mozambique went on for over a decade. So I think uh, you know by at the end of fifteen years, it had become almost uh, sort of commonplace, and to the to the point that yeah. A humour has to has to emerge, uh, and horrific sights become uh, become the, the normal. Um, and then, yeah, what, the 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 our lot and the the, the their lot. Uh, there's kind of two elements to this, I suppose. One, a, a translation aspect of, of how can you do something in English that he's doing in Portuguese, and then also what is he doing? And he's very specifically not. Saying the names of the the, 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 the um, belligerents. Um, and that's because, as I said, he, he didn't want it specifically set anywhere, but he's making a broader point that it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, he's saying there's probably another group, another father and son on the other side of the city thinking that they're in the right and, uh, you know, it's our lot, their lot. Like Obviously, we're living in fairly. uh polarised times ourselves uh, so, uh, so, so, so these sort of things make sense. Uh, but yeah, in terms of translation, in, in Portuguese you've got uh, os nosos and it interchanges a bit uh, usually it's os outros or os deles so nosos uh, I, I imagine people will, will maybe be familiar with Spanish more than Portuguese but nosotros it's kind of we uh, uh, uh and in, in portuguese it means uh, yeah us ours uh we lot our lot uh, and then delis is them or the others is outros, the others so I needed to find something that was uh, that could t- 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 had the same sort of fle- flexibility as os-nosos that could be interchanged because it's a sort of a recurring term throughout the piece and uh, and a, a powerful one of that. That uh, as, as you said, there's a sense of humour about it, and as it you hear it used again and again, it, it does raise a smile. But then hearing it so often also, yeah, it, it makes a point. So yeah, I needed something that was fairly flexible and could fairly unobtrusively uh, fit in and out uh, and yeah I remember playing around a bit our side their side a lot that uh, uh, sports metaphors and so on uh, and ended up uh, yeah our lot their lot seemed about the, the, the best fit um, so yeah the, the, in beyond that in, in sort of translation terms specific to the piece um, you, you've got the uh, our lot, their lot, we don't know who they are, but at some point, they, they, when they're out and about walking in the city, they, they come across a patrol and they don't know immediately, they can't recognize whether they are our lot or their lot. The point being, you know, uh, the, there's some guys with guns that could have been either. But the father shouts the, the motto of our lot, which is in Portuguese, Patria e Progresso, uh, you know, Patria, which is. A very difficult thing to translate, or oh, you don't have to translate it. It, it, it's kind of does just about work as an English word. But uh, yeah, patriotism and progress, or patriotism and progress. And again, yeah, it, it, it's a sort of uh, vapid cry that, that, that one side or another uh, can adopt as they're and doesn't particularly uh, mean anything or, or identify them as, as having a particular ideology, if you like. Um, other things, I mean, like looking through the piece, uh, and uh, because it's a little while since I translated this, obviously the the way things work, but also this was quite a particular uh, project uh, in that um, there's a a short story prize in Britain called the Commonwealth Prize, or the Commonwealth Short Story Prize, I think, and it's um, a prize for any member or any People from many of the countries that were part of the Commonwealth, as in the British Commonwealth, um, can submit a, a story. And strangely, it is open to Mozambique, which wasn't part of the Commonwealth but joined because all its neighbouring countries were. So there's quite a few layers of colonial uh, legacy involved in this already. But I was asked to uh, translate uh, some of the stories. Uh, that had been submitted. So there was a, like a jury that picked. You could submit in Portuguese if you were from Mozambique, and then a, a, a jury or a, a reader chose the best three, I think, and then they were translated to English and passed on to the the, the English jury or the, the English reading jury. Uh, and I translated one of them, which was, was which was this. But it was it was submitted anonymously, so I, I didn't know the author, and, uh, and therefore obviously couldn't ask any questions whereas often you would the, the way i like to work anyway is if i have doubts if i want to double check either the meaning of a word or a, a, a perhaps something that's been suggested or, or anything like that you know i can talk to the author and run uh, run these sort of queries by him but as he was anonymous um i, I couldn't so i had to sort of find solutions myself uh, and Josie has talked about how in a way that sort of has its advantages because it, it means he, he he's a translator himself as well as a writer and he knows that the benefit of the translator sort of taking ownership of the piece because uh, it, you know if you want it to read smoothly uh, and uh, 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 sort of work in its own right you do need to to make that extra leap at some point uh, I think and so, uh, so so I did that but uh, but yeah there were other, other things I might have otherwise uh, otherwise asked him about
1: yeah that's interesting I've always heard translators talk so much about the collaborative process but I, it doesn't make sense that in a way you would have to draw a line somewhere and, and you know yeah, and making I mean, it your uh, own.
0: Anybody who does any writing of their own knows that you can you can tweak and tweak and tweak forever and that's sometimes <laughs> yeah. even the translation but uh, yeah there comes a time when you, you, you have to uh, you have to stop but also yeah there comes a, a time when you, uh, you get to a particular draft and you stop looking at the original and you just have to make it work. Uh, And you edit it as if it was a piece that you'd written yourself in English.
1: That's interesting. Uh, Normally when we publish a portfolio of writing in the common, it's limited to a specific country or perhaps a specific region like the Middle East. And I can usually read through it and put together some sort of general observations, things the pieces have in common, that kind of thing. But with this Lusosphere portfolio, it's so diverse because it comes from all over the world. I, I absolutely could not do that, but I didn't know, you know, you know much more about it than I do. Are there any themes or ideas that you would point to as being Quite important in Luso's phone writing, or is that sort of an important impossible task to put that together?
0: I mean, it, it, it is obviously a difficult task uh, in the sense that so many, you know, so many people write so many things. But uh, but yeah, we can we can certainly have a, have a try. Uh, and again, uh, I always kind of have to break these points down into into two. On the one hand, we'd be talking about the the pieces that have made it into this magazine, and also the pieces that generally make it into English from Portuguese. And then we can talk about what writing in general done in Portuguese exists, because for something to to be translated into English, it needs to kind of have an appeal beyond uh, perhaps the the borders or the the space it was written in. And it often needs a translator to, to, to also want to take it and go to the trouble of uh, of translating it and finding it uh, an outlet, so therefore you you do often get pieces that, the, that that translators might be interested in, and translators being linguists who probably have uh, for some reason or other learned you know a language and have probably travelled and perhaps even lived in another place, and maybe themselves have slight questions about identity and where they're from and belong and so forth. You you then. Find that uh, that that similarly some of these uh, themes uh, can can be found in and certainly the pieces in, in the common, uh, but again it, it's kind of logical in the sense that as I said Portugal was a uh, a, a, a big you know, a massive country in terms of migration. You've got uh, it, it was a colonial country that colonized. Countries, well, all over the world, and for a long time, you know, this they were they were fighting the African wars of independence were only in the seventies. Uh, so you know, that's a lot of the that, that which and that after that there was a lot of movement, uh, be it sort of Portuguese colonizer populations in Africa moving back or or, I mean, they were called the retornados, often people, you know, they'd been born there and, and were suddenly moving back. I mean, it wasn't really back, it was to a place that they'd never been. Uh, then Portugal was a poor country, so you've, you've then got an extra layer of migration uh, going on where uh, there might not been working uh, in Portugal. So it, it, it's probably no wonder Given all of this sort of uh, fairly stormy and uh, and sad uh, history, that people are, are trying to uh, yeah get a sense of, of belonging uh, uh, to, to to something. What does it mean to, to, to speak Portuguese? Do we have something in common by the by the language uh, and so on? So uh, so yeah, I, th- I think uh, that they their themes that that. Um, that are evident in this book and are probably evident certainly in the work that I've translated and that some of the books you see get published uh, in English. Um, But of course, in Portugal, in Brazil, uh, elsewhere, there are, you know, people writing uh, sort of uh, genre fiction, if you like, or or, or romances uh, for a local audience. Although having just said that, I'm now going to totally disagree with myself because actually, in Portuguese a lot of Portuguese is different is not they don't have much genre writing. You don't get many good crime writers, for example. Uh, and I I love crime fiction. I would love to translate a great uh, sort of crime fiction writer from Lisbon. Sort of, but you, there aren't really any, and I think that sort of also answers the question that. Uh, Portugal, because Portuguese, this Portuguese speaking world in, in book terms is quite a small market. Um, yeah, Brazil is a huge country, it, uh, so is Angola, and, and so, but they don't, they're not necessarily big book buying countries um, for, for numerous reasons. So the, 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 the Portuguese world in, in literature terms is actually quite small. And there's also, quite a strong ref, uh, sort of uh, influence of France uh, historically, and, and, and that sort of the again, the level of society that maybe in Portugal that would, would have been writing would have looked to France and quite fancied the idea of being, you know, an intellectual who, who was a writer, and therefore they write about worthy themes or they write about ideas and thoughts and, and so forth, rather than the, the the sort of love of telling a story and, and, and that sort of narrative driven. Uh, 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 literature so yeah that, that's another pattern i would say uh, uh, that, uh that certainly i, I i've as, as a translator looking for books that i could pitch to to publishers uh it, it's sometimes quite often idea uh led rather than plot led
1: mm-hmm. that's interesting um, I would love to talk about another piece you translated for the portfolio. Uh, it was a nonfiction excerpt called Under Our Skin, A Journey, set in Cape Verde. And among other things, it includes a really interesting look at historical perceptions of Cape Verdeans who don't always identify as Black. Um, could you tell us more about that excerpt and, and what it's about?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, the, 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 it, 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 it um, touches on some of the, the things we've been talking about already. It, it's, uh, it's a sort of narrative nonfiction I mean, the extract, in fact, it's a, sort of two or three different parts from uh, a, a book-length uh, 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 work that that uh, sort of were forged together to, to make a piece in its own right. And it's by uh, yeah, an author, Joaquin Arena, and he's sort of investigating or looking into his own heritage, his own background as a... Uh, as a, a mixed race Cape Verdean who grew up in Lisbon and moved back to Cape Verde and, and so forth, um, Cape Verde is a very very interesting place for these sorts of um, issues and discussions. Uh, I mean, to give a very very quickly potted history that doesn't quite do it full justice, but basically, you've got some islands in uh, in the middle of the Atlantic. And at a particular point, they weren't really populated, although maybe traders had been there, Uh, Romans had gone there for salt, I think, things like that. But uh, the Portuguese used it, turned it into a slaving post. So they would go to the African coast, buy or take slaves, and they used one of the islands as a sort of, almost like a slave warehouse. They used slaves themselves. For plantations in Cape Verde and, and move them from there to, uh, to Brazil, uh, primarily, or salt them. So a sort of a European, slaver who didn't want the, uh, the trouble or dangers of going to the coast, uh, could you know could buy. Uh, the enslaved, we should say rather than slaves, uh, from uh, fr- from this Cape Verdean island. <laughs> but there are other elements to it, obviously, it's a complicated story. But uh, essentially, you then had a group of Portuguese, uh, not sort of uh, based in Cape Verde, who were in. Who were ruling over a group of Africans from all different parts, and of course, they had to communicate, and therefore a, a creole language uh, formed in in the way that, uh, that creoles do. You know, find finding ways and, and, and using uh, a bit a word from here and a word from there, and, and a sort of uh, a sort of simplified Portuguese as was spoken by the the, the Portuguese uh, people, uh, soldiers or whoever it was anyway. Uh, the the point being, that it, as a place, it, it, it's food, its language, its music, it's pretty much everything. Its entire history is this sort of mixture of uh, of, of influences, African and European, primarily, uh, and also a, a violent past as well. Uh, Although it's, it's a fairly lovely place to to, to visit, you know that it's not uh, you know this is quite a it's not a sort of a, a, a history we should romanticise, but it is it is fascinating uh, uh, in terms of the the, the poles, and so yeah, the book uh, uh, investigates some of that, interrogates some of that, um, and uh, it provides a bit of a, a potted history about Cape Verdeans in the US uh, to a degree, because a bit like the Azorean. And Madeira, if there was a drought, you'd data islands that are in the middle of the ocean. If there was a drought, famine, etc., there wasn't any work, so you'd get a lot of migrants. Quite often, fishermen or whalers, uh, and Cape Verdeans who were known as, as known as sailors, as as, as the, the, the piece touches on. Uh, and then, yeah, also uh, it, it includes a sort of uh, profiles of black historical figures. A lot of them from Europe who've kind of been overlooked in history, and he ties that into, uh, I suppose, his own uh, background of growing up in Portugal and not being told about these people. Uh, And then he he, there's a bit of travel writing to it, and he he goes and uh, traces a a community uh, in Portugal that is sort of believed to be the last descendants of a, of an enslaved community uh, actually quite near where i am now uh, in, in Zitubal, who worked on the rice uh, sort of patty fields so so yeah that's a, 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 a quick uh, quick overview but uh, but yeah the the cape Verdeans, to to go back to your original question yeah you had a strong influence from europe and a strong influence from Africa, and yeah, there's some people who identified more from here, more from there. Historically, uh, that's continued, and, and to a degree, the uh, the does still today in in some, at least in some areas.
1: Yeah, reading it, I definitely had the sense that it was just barely scratching the surface of a very very long complicated history just in that in that short excerpt
0: i mean it's it's a great book and if there are any <laughs> publishers out there i'm uh, i'm looking for a <laughs> publisher for it at the moment and it, it's been chosen it's by the the, the sort of portuguese institute as a uh, as a sort of one of their funding projects because i think they do see the the, the merit of it uh <laughs> as, a, as a sort of uh, yeah as a, a a story and a document that should be better known
1: yeah it certainly sounds important yeah uh, you also translated one other um, piece. It was a poem called Another Education by Cristina Carlos. It's um, about growing up and dealing with racial discrimination in Portugal. Um, I've always wondered when I read translated poetry, how do you preserve those sort of aesthetic elements of poetry like sound and rhythm or even, you know, not in this poem, but another poems, something like rhyme when you're translating verse.
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's sort of in many ways the the impossible task if, if if two words in a different language rhyme and do other clever things like you know, suggest several things it's it, it, you, you often just can't do that in English um, I, I don't translate a lot of poetry I mean uh, partly because I'm not uh, I'm not a poet I would consider myself a writer in, in my own right and therefore translating is an extension of that but I'm not really a poet and therefore translating Poems, I, I, I feel uh, that uh, yeah, in a way, I'm lacking to a degree, but maybe because of that, I, I I'm a bit more uh, humble or careful, or, and I have a real long look when I, at the beginning, and try and recognise patterns, trying to see wordplay, rhymes, etc., and what what and try and decide because you, you're not going to be able to do everything, try and decide what the maybe the most important thing to do is and with this one it, it, it's it's a it's a cry it's an angry uh, poem and, and it, it did not necessarily uh rhyme as some wordplay but it, it's more like a you know a, a howl of protest and so my approach was to, to to try and make it like that, just to try, to give it rhythm, make it fl- flow, make it sort of the, the way you might spit out a rap or something that you were you, the, 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 an impassioned, angry sort of piece. So, so that was the way I approached it. Uh, uh, yes, the way you do that is uh, over and over again, then read it out loud, make sure it make sure it does flow. Uh, there are a few tricky things, you know, in, in the Portuguese. It, it talks about learning because it's about school. And it talks about learning you know, sort of the ABCs and B means branco which is white Well, be you know white doesn't begin with B in English yeah you, know, you have to try and you have to play around a bit there and then there's a word preto, which is a sort of play on words from black which means which it, it, the Portuguese word preto and the and Portuguese and joining that but there are as with any word for black in pretty much any language, there are connotations of how that's used. Uh, 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 and uh, again, it, it, it was difficult. It was impossible, in fact. So I, uh, in, the, in the translation, I, I introduced the word pretogeis and explain it, Portuguese, black Portuguese, bad, because I thought it was important to, to preserve that term, and I couldn't, there was no term in English that... Uh, that wasn't loaded in its own way. Uh, let's say if I tried to to try to come up with something,
1: right, right. And you want to make sure that the reader understands that there's like an important connotation happening here.
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of these uh, translation questions. You know, I'm translated from Portuguese into English, uh, and you know, a lot of readers they're not going to know anything about. Uh, probably very much about Portugal, let alone uh, its history, uh, uh, the Mozambique civil war, any of this. But I like to so I like to try and uh, preserve a bit that reminds you you're, you're in a world where Portuguese is the language, or that was what was translated, but maybe also something else that suggests there is another language at play or another layer uh, to the language. Uh, and you can, you, whether that's by preserving Uh, place names street names or foods things like that so sometimes a way of providing a bit of flavor or color or or in this case yeah a couple of a couple of words that you can sort of teach the reader uh to 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 learn or understand what they mean and then that that sort of gives it gives it a bit of a a, an extra an extra element
1: yeah um i would love to hear Um, Just hearing you talk about all these different kinds of translation, it just sounds so complicated to me. Um, Could you tell us how you got started in translation and, and also specifically how you came to specialize in works from Africa's Lusophone countries?
0: Sure, uh, I mean uh, it, it is complicated, but it, 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 you know if you if if you're writing in English, that's complicated as well, as in, you it. You know, is. if you're writing in your mother tongue, you, you could sit around for hours and go, oh, where do I start? You know, it's like anything; you you get stuck in, you you, you accept that you can't do everything, and uh, and you, you, you try and do what you can do. Um, I I. Started in fact, specifically with translation. I started by by writing. I'd gone to Brazil. Uh, I was trying to become a, a sort of a foreign correspondent journalist. Uh, not getting very far, but I ended up writing a book uh, on commission uh, about a, f- a football player, or as you would call us, a soccer player. So Ronaldinho was the the Brazilian footballer. He was the sort of best player in the world at the time, and it was a World Cup year. Uh, and so I I, I wrote a, a biography of him. I interviewed players he'd played with some coaches and coaches and so forth in Brazil, uh, I, I, and then wrote his sort of his life story. And it was as I was I'd record the interviews with these with all these different people and then type them up in English uh, back home or back at the hotel or whatever it was. And I really enjoyed that, especially because you were talking to people. And I realized that the way I translated it really conveyed what the conversation was like, really conveyed what they were like, uh, what their background was, what they were saying, whether they were laughing, joking. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then I started to think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this is where my strength in writing terms lies. I could do the languages uh, and I can translate. And I kind of almost instinctively got the liberties that you could take, uh, the poetic license, if you like, that you need to uh, that you need to take to to make a good translation, uh, and it, it sort of maybe was especially obvious obvious to me because I was translating uh, dialogue uh, interviews that I had conducted. Uh, uh, so so that was where it began, and from there I, uh, I sort of uh, yeah. Uh, read books that I liked and and, and tried to find out whether they were translated. Then you get to the sort of the business side of things and you try and get jobs and work and you realise how sort of the the limitations and how hard it is and and so on and frustrations and and you realise the importance of funding. Uh, So there are organisations such as PEN, English PEN, and there's PEN in America as well, and they fund, uh, you you know, translations of works so that they there's some cultural worth, let's say, in in their appearing in English. They might not become a bestseller, but it, but it's important that they exist and so forth. So I, I began trying to sort of chase the funding, if you like. And at the time, I think I'd not long moved to Portugal, and so I got interested really in uh, in, in in the 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 literature of uh, Mozambique, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, and so on. And I, and I also there was a woman called Anne Morgan who. would done a project where she tried to read a book from every country in the world and she specifically tried to do it in English to see whether that was possible and I read on her blog that Guinea Bissau had uh, proved uh, a hurdle too far so I set myself the, the sort of challenge of of uh, uh, finding one and and of course we got funding for that because a you know, book didn't exist so that was The Ultimate Tragedy by Abdullah Silla. Uh, and then, of course, once you start doing this, you 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 realise there's a whole world of fascinating stuff out there, and you 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 know you get into it uh, in your own right. So it's a, it sort of becomes a, a, I often say it's a combination of there's a detective element you're trying to find these hidden gems. There's a bit of sort of activism about it. You you know you believe uh, that it's good that we exchange literature that we find about about co- countries and cultures that we we don't necessarily know about, and uh, and then uh, yeah there's a, a pleasure of of coming across sort of storytelling that, you, that maybe comes from a different angle or it's certainly about a world that, that you didn't uh, you didn't know anything about
1: yeah um that's probably a great segue into my next question which is <laughs> that I was wondering if you could tell us about um Daedalus Africa, which uh, is a publisher that you're the editor of, and also um, about Ragpicker Press, which is in the UK.
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, they're both UK-based. Daedalus Books is a sort of a broader uh, publisher. It's relatively smallish, I suppose, although it's been around for quite a long time and and, and you know has quite a big. Uh, big enough list. Uh, but I did the sale book uh, for Deadless Africa and the, the editor was keen to sort of establish more of an African list and uh, fool that I am, I ended up uh, volunteering to, to sort of manage that uh, because I'd enjoyed de- de- the detective side, as I'm, I'm calling it, of, of trying to find these books. Uh, and I knew, you know, I've, I've got quite a few translate friends. I uh, sort of uh, suggested and set the challenge to them uh, to, to to find one. So, so yeah, we've we've published about six titles. We've got a couple more in the pipeline. Uh, first from South Sudan, we did a first from Mauritania. Uh, the next one coming up is one from Central Africa Republic. Uh, first by a woman. I did one from Cape Verde. So yeah, we're we're trying to find uh, sort of uh, yeah countries that are, are underrepresented. Uh, and, uh, and and and, and yet yeah, trying to find some good uh, writing from there. There's no point in doing this, uh, uh, publishing things just for the sake of it. It has to sort of have have merit. Uh, uh, and then, you know, often we can try and get some funding to, to to make the project happen. So, so yeah, if there are any budding translators out there who uh, who want to look into it, then uh, then look me up and, and send me a send me a pitch. Uh, Rackpicker Press, on the other hand, was uh, set up with a with a friend. He he travels to Latin America a lot and reads uh, buys all sorts of books, and he he would really got into these chronicas, uh, which is a sort of uh, uh, non fiction, narrative non fiction, I suppose we'd call it. Uh, uh, sort of pieces that uh, well, you, you get them in in US magazines such as the New Yorker, or indeed in the Common has uh, has pieces, pieces such as Una's uh, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so yeah, these sort of, sort of uh, journalistic pieces that are told as a story, and he 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 was keen that we. Uh, published uh, put out some of these some of these names that weren't getting attention elsewhere so uh, we tried to find other publishers who, who would do that and they didn't so we thought well let's give it a go ourselves and uh, and launched a, a publisher but yeah it's a it's a it's a not-for-profit it's a it's a hobby in many ways i mean the, the, the three books we put out are very good but uh, uh, and we've as it's, it's not for profit the money that we've raised we've uh, put that. We've donated some to some good causes and so on. So, uh, so uh, it's a, a very sporadic uh, uh, imprint.
1: That sounds great, though. Um, one last question, then. Uh, what are you working on now, and what's
0: next? Um, partly, off, uh, as a result of uh, translating Jose's piece, uh, I've ended up uh, quite interested in Mozambique. Uh, I translated another short story for him that he, he sent me. Uh, so we'll try and find a home for that, but uh, I also have been sent a, a novel by a Mozambican author that I, I read only a couple of weeks ago and I really loved, uh, called Chanazi uh, by Carlos Paradona. so I'm, I'm doing a sample of that, I'm going to try and find a, try and find a publisher of that, so, uh, so yeah, hopefully Mozambique will uh, continue to be the, uh, the theme for, for the foreseeable. <laughs>
1: That's great. It sounds like you have a lot lined up.
0: <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, it's the pandemic, isn't it? So we're not, uh, you know, things move slowly, but uh, That's true. But, uh, but yeah, I enjoy doing it, so it's,
1: it's, it's all right. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Jethro Sitar, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really great to talk with you, and I feel like you have really educated us a lot, and I appreciate that.
0: No, well, thank you for asking uh, good questions and, and showing an interest. It's, uh, it's always good to, to uh, as a translator, to, to get to explain what uh, is, uh, quite often goes, uh, goes unsaid or, un, or, or, or unthought of, I suppose. So, uh, so, yeah, next time you're reading something translated, uh, maybe everyone can think a bit about what, uh, what went into the, the, the happening of that. Say, but yeah, enjoy. I always really <laughs> ap-
1: appreciate all the all the work that goes into that. Uh, mm-hmm. Listeners, you can read Jethro's translations and many more, and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononlineorg Luso.